Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome again to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and our sister station, WCOM, and Carborough and uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us on this broadcast. If you miss any part of it, you can go to our website, uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com, and click on the Bachelor News Radio Show page at the top left of the website uh 646-929-0130 the number to get in touch with us you could also hit us up on facebook as we post the information on the shows there pad nation uh, pad nation to a twitter and uh, of course on linkedin as well i want to bring in my guests they are two co-host to chief of police uh of course and the co-host of you and the law that airs on the bachelor news radio network you can go there and listen to their rebroadcast and their live cast on tuesday nights at 7 p.m eastern time he is chief keith humphrey and chief virgil green and brothers i appreciate you as always uh, coming on and i hope all is well and everybody's safe Oh, man, as always, L.A., man, it's a it's an honor to be on your show, man, honor and a pleasure, and uh, good evening to all the listeners. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. And, yeah, likewise, L.A., glad to, uh, glad to be on your show, and hello to your uh, listeners at Pad Nation. Always good. Always good to have you on for insight. Um, topics are not always what we want them to be, uh, certainly when you come on, on this show. Um, but I wanted to follow up on, on a topic that you guys had on your show, and I know you're going to continue to d- discuss this. Um, and that is the lack of, I say, lack of uh, black voices in law enforcement really um, stepping their game up in, in terms of making sure that not only their your brethren knows that you know what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and you're gonna stick up for for your not only your values but of course um, what you signed on uh, as a, um, a police officer but the communities of color that need not only the help but the confidence and the belief that help is there, that there's not all bad cops. Um, and, and, and Chief Humphrey, you know, I, I mentioned a former lieutenant, I believe he was. He might have been a sheriff. I, it, it was a while, but I heard him on the air. And, and he went to talk about January 6th, but he did it in such a political way, not, not only a political way, as you see people – for some strange, bizarre, uh, sickening way of uh, justifying what happened, 
but he also blamed Antifa, and he also blamed Black Lives Matter. And he, so he's bunching this stuff into that clearly that's not the case. You guys know the intel. You know what the FBI said. We know what, who was there. And certainly you understand there were some peaceful protesters there, right? But they were drowned out by the ones taking the, the very flag that they say they stand for and taking it out on law enforcement. And not only that, law enforcement was there taking it out on law enforcement, talking about hang Mike Pence and all this other stuff. So to me, that's problematic. When you have someone who's worked in in the field that you are that took the same oath that you did, uh, yet will put that falsehood out out there like the the Klansman Donald Trump and and all of his cohorts. Yeah, it, it's very disturbing, L.A. And let me tell you what's going on. And a lot of those you have individuals that believe that because they're off duty, they have the right to that that type of behavior. And so what you've seen is you've seen policies tighten to where it doesn't matter if you're on or off duty, you're prohibited from doing anything like that criminally, uh, saying things that might bring um, um, ill ill feelings toward the department and things like that. But this is the deal, man. What they're doing is deflecting. It's simple deflecting. Uh, these, these These are the hearts of these individuals. Uh, these individuals just didn't get that way. Uh, January the 6th or whatever led up to the January the 16th, they've been since from day one, from whatever time, but they want to be in law enforcement. That's just the way they were. And so basically they felt that was a platform, uh, gave them a free platform, and it goes back to we were following the orders of the president. We were following the orders of the president, and we did what we were told to do. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Nobody tells a police officer to go out and hang somebody or be brutal towards somebody. Nobody can direct a police officer if they've got the right mindset and the heart to do this job correctly to go out and call other law enforcement uh, the N-word or say other things disgusting about law enforcement no matter what race you are. But these are people that we depend on to to have our backs, people that we depend on to save our lives. These are people that the communities uh, put their trust in to keep them safe. And you mean to tell me the only justification that someone can have is, well, Black Lives Matter and Antifa did it. There's not been one member, one person affiliated with Black Lives Matter and not one person affiliated with Antifa that has been arrested or charged with the with the crimes that those individuals of white supremacy and those individuals that were identified as law enforcement officers, professional people, there's not been one from those groups of Antifa or Black Lives Matter or any other group other than those that have been identified as terrorists. They're the ones that have been so they're deflecting. They're deflecting, and it is sickening, and it is scary to think that people like, like that are carrying weapons are driving around through neighborhoods, and, and especially neighborhoods of color. It is frightening, it's disgusting, it's, it's uh, disheartening, and it's embarrassing. But I want to just to follow up with, with uh, you, Chief Green, it, but, but it's problematic, it's, it's frightening, and, and Chief Humphrey's saying, 
all the right things, but how do you fix that? If the, if you have law enforcement that has been identified in a heinous crime, it, it, whether it's been January 6th or anything, all the stuff that you guys report on when you're on your, on your show, if you have that and they're in open and, and they took the same oath, how do you combat that? How do you combat that openly without maybe – because, I, look, I don't want anything to happen to you guys because you, you guys are the good guys. But, it, it, you know, when you confront it in any industry like that, there's going to be repercussions, I, I would assume. So how do you confront that at the, and then at the same time sort of try to at least reassure black and brown communities that not all of the cops, especially those who might be white that do this, are going to harm you or have the bad, the bad interests uh, uh, against you. Well, you know, LA, let me say this first. I, you know, I'm going to go back to these officers. You know, it, it goes back to the culture of police, to where these officers felt so comfortable with their brotherhood that they could go to the nation's capital and do the things that they did, and they felt that that those other officers who were either, you know, capital uh, police officers or D.C. metro police officers that, hey, you and I, we look alike, you know, we're, you know, we're that, that, that blue line. And so they, it's the culture that made them feel that comfortable that they could go and do the things that they were doing uh, and also where, you know, whether they were uh, retired or current law enforcement, uh, it just goes back to say, hey, you know, I'm your brother. And so you saw some of that, but, you know, you ask the question, how can you, how can this be fixed? Um, and I think that's a good question. And I would have to say, but yes, anything can be fixed, but when you look at the the long history of these things happening in, in the police industry and that none of this has really been stopped and been prevented, you go back to any other type of, of a work uh, place where if something is going on that should not be going happening in that workplace environment, there are things that are uh, steps are taken to make sure that those things uh, don't happen. Well, in law enforcement, we continue to see, you know, all these uh, things happen, and you have to ask yourself, at what point will law enforcement get it right? We know that there's bad people in the police industry, bad people in, in any kind of work industry, but this is an industry that we've said time and time again on our show as well as on your show, is that this is an industry that you need to get it right from the beginning. And that starts with the first day you are recruited to the to the day that you graduate the academy and you're out in, uh, working in the, in the, in the public. Um, what when when these things happen, steps need to be taken to uh, either remove those officers because you have to ask yourself, can you do any kind of corrective uh, 
behavior to change that person's attitude. And to be honest with you, LA, I don't, I just don't really think you can. I think once a person has that uh, type of behavior within them, they're not going to change. And the only re- only way they're going to change is if they're actually removed from that profession. And to to you, Chief Humphrey, um, you know, Chief Green just said something that uh, I was going to mention, and you you mentioned it as well. The word heart can't change a person's heart. But at the same time, there has to be some kind of precedent to, to, to get those bad apples to understand you mean business. If it's in the radio industry and I'm working at Clear Channel like I did and I did something wrong, there's going to be consequences. It could be termination. It could be whatever. Um, if I want to do wrong, I get caught, I'm, you know, I could be terminated. But with your profession, with what you guys do, not only I would think, Chief Humphrey, or maybe I'm asking a question. Should you, as a black man who happens to be a fine police chief uh, um, in Little Rock, Arkansas, are you concerned for your safety and other um, black and brown men and women's safety when it comes to um, not just the bad apples, but maybe bad apples – around your department, maybe in the, another agency next door, especially when you're off-duty and you're driving your car. And it's like the old days where military people will come back to serve the country. Wait a minute. I'm a cop like you. I'm military like you. No, you're just a nigger. So are you concerned about that for you and your fellow um, officers of color when you're off-duty especially, that you could get confronted with something like that? And then same th- a question to you, Virgil. Oh, absolutely, L.A. I mean, it, it, does, rise, uh, it does rise to a level of concern, uh, not necessarily a level of fear for me, but a level of concern and a level of reality. Uh, I've had this discussion with, with white and black officers that it is different uh, when – uh, I pull my uniform off. I'm still a black man, and and and, and you know my white uh, peers can pull their uniform off and not have to worry about being profiled. Uh, and, you know, but that's just another part of our life that uh, that we have to deal with. I've been dealing with that all my life. Not so much a fear for myself. I fear for the citizens in the community who may not be recognized as, as someone who's a law enforcement officer. I feel, I feel for those and I fear for those in the community that um, are being profiled all of the time uh, because maybe they have a hoodie on or maybe because they're sagging or maybe because they have 26-inch rims on their car. Uh, I do fear for them. I do fear for them. And, and I don't fear that every officer who doesn't look like me is going to hurt them, but I do know that there are those officers out there that don't have respect for the communities that they that they patrol. I do know that. I do know that they use terms like "let's go hunting," uh, and I'm not talking about in in one particular department, LA. I'm talking about in the profession as a whole. There is that small percentage, and as you know, we talk. We're talking about two five. We're talking about one to five percent of law enforcement. One one to five percent of uh, a million people who wear the badge, but LA, we know that that's that's still too many. 
what one to five percent are we talking about? How do you identify those individuals? I mean, how do you know? It's at the point now. This is what's discussing. I think Virgil can talk about it. It's at it's at the point now where uh, is there a way to can you? And you know, we got all these things in 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 place. These these uh, you know practices in place and policies that talk about uh, racial profiling and talk about bias based policing. But how do you really prove that? How do you how do you prove that someone stops stopped a citizen based on their color? Very difficult to prove unless this person has done this on a regular basis, unless this person says something, uh, or unless this or unless this person peer come out. So so um, to answer that question again, I don't fear. I, I'm concerned for my sake. I, I, I get concerned, but I fear for the safety of of others who may look like me in the community and who may not have a voice. Yeah, you're a big dude, so I don't think you'd be afraid of <laughs> pretty much anything. But I get that, and that's what I meant, the fear factor of that. Both of you guys big dudes, so, like, I, I'm not – I'm sure you're not concerned from that standpoint and your training and everything else. You know, uh, uh, Cedric, the entertainer, said uh, you guys will put somebody on a wish list. I wish a bleep bleep would try that, so <laughs> but just, to, just to say that. But Virgil – same question because you both know the history of policing and how um, you wear the same badge and the same uniform, took the same oath, but the history going back, as you guys know, was that you know, yeah, but you still you still black. You you really ain't really one of us. We just let you in, and I, and I think that's a concern um, for the communities as well in terms of well, if 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 I I got a fear, you know the bad apples that say say the white uh, enforcers that that commit these crimes. The, I'm not saying you know uh, no others do, but from that standpoint, and then also the the disappointment of and the and and maybe even this this preconceived notion that if you coming through the neighborhood and it's it's you. And your white partner, that they looking like, oh, you know, you know he ain't gonna be down with us. He, you know, he's just gonna let this dude run rapid. He's just gonna be quiet and not stick up for us and stick up for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to say this first, LA, is that you know I think even with uh, the podcast show that we do, uh, there are people who do not agree. With the things, with the topics that we talk about, they don't agree with uh, some of the uh, opinions that we have, and so that makes us a—I uh, I don't want to use the word target—but that makes uh, that makes people look at us as if you're, you're not one of us, and so you know we cannot have a voice and utilize a platform to express the concerns that we have because then all of a sudden to the other race is that uh, you don't speak for us, you're not one of us, uh, you know. So we, there's the potential that we can, that we are, can face some backlash from the, the conversations that we have on our podcast show. Uh, and that's just the, the 
the, the nature and the culture of policing because, again, you know, me and Keith, we can drive down any street in our communities and we can get pulled over by a white police officer. Uh, they may know you or may not know you, even if they do know you. And they can say, well, man, you know, I listened to your podcast show and you said some things I didn't like. So next thing you know, your traffic stop can be just like uh, just a, another citizen's traffic stop. But you have individuals who they put their personal uh, opinions into the the work that they're doing, and that dictates how they're going to treat you. And that they, I mean, that, uh, it, is the same let me ask this real quick. Yeah, and then, let me ask you both this question. If you're just joining us, we talk with Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, uh, Green of course, host, uh, co-host of You and the Law that airs Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Great show, very enlightening, very straight up. Um, and, of course, you can hear the rebroadcast at the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com, their You and the Law page, and their, uh, they'll give their social media stuff, too, before they go. But let me ask you this. Wouldn't you think, I would think, um, and I'm not, uh, again, you guys know better, if if I was a black officer and I got stopped and I got treated and you you knew and you knew it was racial, you know, it could have been, it could have been a Chinese officer that pulled you over. He just has issues with black people. I would think if an officer goes through that, then not only the sensitivity is there, you say, again, you're already black, so you know what time it is, but the sensitivity is there, and then also making it would uh, um, evolve into more black law enforcement speaking out. So comment on that, and then um, is it more important to speak out individually or collectively? Because I think it's power in both. But if you have a Chief Humphrey or Chief Green in every department that's going to stand up for what's right, then that's pretty powerful, too, from an individual standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Chief L.A., let me, let me say this. You, yeah, let me say this. I think it's both. I think, uh, I think what happens is people get comfortable. And when, when a person, we, we miss those teaching moments. And some of the questions or things that are displayed or said might be out of ignorance. I give people that. But then there are those cases that are out of spite and out of hatred. And so we as, we as, 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 as police officers, black men, uh, black women, or anyone who wears a badge, we have to take those opportunities to correct that at the time. We cannot let that build up like, like calcium in a, in a sink. Uh, we can't do that, and then we try to fix it. You know, after years and years of somebody saying something, then we try to fix it. I think when you when you stop it up front one-on-one, you prevent it from having to go to a point where you have to get the entire group involved. Now, when you have to get the entire group involved is when you have from the top down saying it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Look the other way. Oh, your police officer be tough, and I think that's where – you have to have uh, minority associations, black police associations, Hispanic police associations, that are willing to stand up and call it, call it for what it is because there's strength in numbers. Um, that one individual that's speaking up is put himself in a position to maybe be harassed, 
and and other things that could affect their job. But as a group, sometimes that has an impact. You tell me if a group, uh, 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 a law enforcement group, such as uh, a local chapter of the Black Police Association does, you know, go to a council member, mayor, city manager, say these are the problems, or go out into the community where their voices can be heard, that's going to get some attention. It's going to cause some. It's going to cause some open dialogue. It's going to cause some deep, deep, deep digging into the history of those organizations. The the problem is, LA, we we have some some members uh, of our of our race that just refuse to say anything, whether it's out of fear, whether it's out of they're not offended. But you've got to say, I mean, what do you what do you have? I remember a young man that was involved in an incident. And there were several white officers around. There was two African Americans, and they arrested um, a, a, uh, a larger physique African American female who had a shower cap on. And this one black officer, who and he made it, he in front of everybody referred to her as Aunt Mama. Well, what happens is the other officers around him start calling her Aunt Mama. And so there was one officer who stood up and said, hey, I'm not putting up with that. So he went and reported it. Well, when he did that, those group of officers refused to back him, talk noise about him, uh, and things like that. Those are the things that some people are afraid of. But, but he didn't allow that fear to stop him from doing it. And we've got we've to stop. We've got to stop being afraid and do this because if they're doing it to you, as a African American police officer, just imagine what they're doing out here to citizens. Yeah. Well, Virgil, you know, LA and I said, and I said, if you know, we we make up about twelve percent of the population in law enforcement, black police officers do. So, when you think about that, it's very of African Americans in in law enforcement uh, across the country. Uh, you may have some agencies who have a large population of, of black police officers, maybe like in Philadelphia or, or uh, you know, on the East Coast or in the South. But, you know, to, to only have 12% uh, of blacks representing uh, law enforcement when we only make up probably a little over 13% uh, in, the, in, the, in the country, uh, not a lot of, not a lot of voices. But the problem that I see, L.A., is that just like Keith made reference to what the black police officer uh, said to the uh, black female that was that was being arrested, you've got officers who have kind of condoned some of these bad behaviors. And oftentimes you may have a white officer who may speak up before a black officer. And so you've got white officers who are – seeing these bad habits in these black police officers. The black police officers are seeing the bad habits in the white officers. And so they're not making that decision to address that bad behavior right then when it happens. And so that's why people in the black community, even they don't really even trust the black police officers. And the black police officers wonder why. It's because on a traffic stop, you see some of the same bad behaviors that black officers are doing, and they're treating other black people the same way as a white officer 
the city norm on, on a traffic stop. And so um, that is a problem that, you know, again, it just goes back to when will, especially black men, and I think black women are probably more vocal than black men are in law enforcement, but when will black men step up to the plate and confront, you don't have to be violent or you don't have to be belligerent, but confront a, whether it's a white officer or a Latino officer or an Asian officer, whoever is treating another person of your color uh, in a manner that they should not be treated, you need to step up and say something and address it with that person right then. Because, again, I think that's why we have the problems that we have, because officers are not doing that. Okay. Final question, uh, just to, to get you guys to, to answer. I got my next guest on the line. Um, again, individually, collectively, um, which is more powerful? I, I think, Chief Humphrey, you answered that. But it's really, I think it's really important because, like you said, you have the, the, the demographics are different in, any, in different cities. I'm from New Haven. It's predominantly... Uh, black, Hispanic, I might go to, you know, uh, Manchester where my, my nephew is, is an officer and it's predominantly white. So then there's education, there's these incidents that may happen in these cities. So is it important to, 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 for each location? I know you guys are part of the fraternal and they, they speak out, but is it important for each agency to have some kind of awareness, some kind of voice, some kind of place to go? when these bad apples um, infect, you know, like cancer, uh, your agencies, especially when you guys are chiefs, so. Yeah, it is. And in L.A., I think I speak for both of us. Now, we're not part of the FOP, uh, uh, so uh, we're not. I didn't mean and, to say and, the FOP. And, I, I didn't mean to say. I didn't mean to say the FOP. My apologies. I think you meant law enforcement fraternity. Yeah, I, I, I got, I got Right. It. Um, so, so yeah, Ellie, you, you know, you you got to have so we can't solve it all, and and, you, and and there's nothing wrong with going to. If I'm understanding your question, there's nothing wrong with going to community leaders and uh, professional associations related to law enforcement or bring in professionals when you when you realize you have a problem. I mean, the only way you solve a problem is you admit it, and I think communities will be forgiving uh, if you do step forward and say we got a problem. This is historical. We need your help. We need you to come in and, and help discuss what the deal is. It's not personal, but the historical. So, yeah, it is important to have that connection. It is important to have uh, outside resources that can help you do it because sometimes uh, a chief or, or can't do it by himself. Uh, you hit a brick wall, but when you get more people involved that come in and talk about the historical and that's why this is going on, absolutely, it, it, it's necessary. Yeah, and I think this is why, in my opinion, I think this is why uh, organizations like the NAACP uh, would play uh, a really a vital role within the policing industry to where if, if there is a somebody who is a liaison who has a, who can be a who can also be a voice where those officers can go and express their concerns, 
because oftentimes if they go to a supervisor, if they go any higher up in that chain of command, then they may feel some type of repercussion. So I think it's upon us in the police industry to make sure that officers have an outlet or a, a resource to go to so where they don't feel that there's any kind of retaliatory action taken against them when they do go and report uh, a bad behavior uh, against one of their peers. And so I think uh, when you have organizations like the NAACP who, who you know, they're champions for civil rights, who are able to facilitate some of these things, I think you're going to you're gonna probably find more officers who are willing to express those concerns, but I think it's just going to take law enforcement really reaching out into the private sector and bringing in organizations like that to see how they can help uh, assist with these uh, situations when they happen. Because, again, one officer going to report another officer, you, you got to remember, you're reporting it to somebody else. You're not reporting it to somebody on the outside of the agency. You're reporting it to somebody on the inside of the agency. And will, will they take that and do the correct things that they need to do? Yeah, that, you know, you might have a old boy network and you reporting it and you reporting it to some, a, a superior that's, that's friends with the, the officer you reported it on, so on and on. I, I, I just say, too, and you guys have said on your, pro, your show that uh, the union plays a big role in the, the brick wall or the wall that seems to allow bad behavior to go unpunished or at least you know, slap on the, re- on the wrist at the very most, it seems, in a lot of cases. Some cases are different, but, you know, Breonna Taylor, we can go, I could spend two hours on some of the, um, the injustices that are taking place. Um, but listen, I, as always, guys, I love you, appreciate you. Uh, you guys stay safe, as always, always praying for you guys and your family. And we will talk um, tomorrow on your broadcast. Yeah, L.A. We appreciate you, L.A. Thanks a lot, man. Definitely. And And before you go, let people know. Right, I was going to say, let them tune in at 7, but how they can follow you online as well. Yeah, you can follow us on uh, Facebook at You and the Law 1 on Facebook. You can follow us on, on Instagram and on Twitter. But primarily, you know, go to our Facebook page and like us, and uh, you'll see our topics that we uh, put out every Monday about the topics that we're going to be talking about on Tuesday. So uh, we got a great show coming tomorrow. It's going to be, uh, you know, is it really difficult? Is it really being is it really difficult being black uh, in in, uh, in policing uh, in America? So good show. We're going to be talking with our listeners tomorrow. So uh, just. Go to our Facebook page and like us and uh, follow us and uh, you know, share your comments about uh, what you uh, think about you and the law. Well, thank you. And like I said, you and the law airs at 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, tomorrow night. And, of course, to rebroadcast at our website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. Love you guys. Appreciate you. All right, appreciate you, man. Thanks, thanks a lot. Chief Humphrey and Chief uh, Virgil Green. Uh, host of You and the Law on the Bass News Radio Show on the Bass News Radio Network. Stay tuned. Taste and health. You want both in one cranberry juice? You want Northland. Northland has a kick to it. I like that. It says 100% juice on their label. That tells me it's healthy. 
Cranberry raspberry, cranberry grape, I love all their flavors. Northland, a great taste and the health benefits of cranberry. Only Northland has 27% cranberry in all nine of its 100% juice cranberry blends. I choose Northland because it fits my healthy lifestyle. Northland, 100% juice, 100% refreshing. Welcome back to the show. It is the Bassa News Radio Show on the Bassa News Radio Network and our sister station, WCOM in Chapel Hill and, of course, WCLM in Richmond, Virginia now. We thank those affiliates for carrying uh, this broadcast. want to go to the phone, bring in my guest. He is the Senior mm-hmm. Policy Program Manager at the Urban Institute. He is Zach Boren, and Mr. Boren, it's a pleasure for you to come on. And listen, I appreciate so much your patience on the line, sir. Hi, L.A. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on the show and uh, getting the, a chance to talk to you about, uh, about apprenticeships tonight. Absolutely. So um, first question to you is, is what is uh, Apprenticeship 2000? Yeah, Apprenticeship 2000, uh, it is a model for developing youth apprenticeships um, in North Carolina. It's an employer consortium model. Um, It was created in 1995 by four employers. Uh, Ameritech Dye and Mold was an American company. Uh, Blum, an an Austrian company. Detweiler, a Swiss company. And Sarstedt, a German company. And what they did together is they transformed from being competitors in business to being collaborators to address talent shortages in the Charlotte area that they're really facing in manufacturing. Uh, For the employers, you know, it's a really great cost-effective model for for recruiting young talent um, into their organizations to become mechatronics techs and uh, CNC operators and dye and mold um, operators as well. This, uh, an enduring talent development strategy that they that they developed, and for the apprentices, it, it really offers this rigorous, high-quality apprenticeship pathway that starts with uh, education in high school and culminates in receiving uh, a, a degree, an associate's degree, from a local community college um, in mechatronics and receiving your certificate. Um, showing that you are proficient as a mechatronics tech. It's just a really, really exciting model, an enduring one. It's a, as far as we're concerned, it's the, uh, the longest lasting youth apprenticeship model that we've found in the United States. So it's a win-win-win for all the partners involved, high schools, employers, colleges, uh, the apprentices, and really the state overall economically uh, benefits from having more people in good jobs. You know, it, one of the things in in, in reading uh, on this and and what you're you're you just expressed is the fact that you know, and I think this is uh, through the Department of Labor, um, is that this country kind of gets away or got away from um, apprenticeships, uh, especially in a sense that it is a win-win. Now it seems like corporate America is more about um, you know, that, uh, that bottom line rather than doing it the way that we grew up where you, you learn the trade, you learn something, a craft in high school, you, you took on, um, uh, a, uh, apprenticeship at a, 
a, a local company. You work your way through up. By the time you graduated from college, you had a job. Now it seems like companies don't want to work together to do that. It seems like we've gotten away from that. And I think economically and, and the country as a whole in terms of how we we uh, uh, look at labor and look at people who work, who have to do the work. Some people do the grunt work. Some people are, you know, the upper uh, management. We've gotten away from that, and I think that's really hurt the country. What's your thoughts? You know, I think uh, apprenticeship is really, you know, we've seen a big downside, especially in the in the Great Recession for apprenticeships. They slid all the way down to only about 375,000 apprenticeships across the country. And now we're talking about a boom in apprenticeships. What we've seen is um, about a 200% gain um, since the Great Recession in apprenticeships. Um, And we're seeing it all over the country. And not only are we seeing apprenticeships grow in the traditional trades, um, but we're seeing them grow in places that we don't expect them anymore, or we don't expect them to be. So, you know, here at Urban Institute, we are uh, an apprenticeship intermediary. So we're helping companies, uh, you know, like some some big tech firms, like Google, uh, start some of their uh, first, you know, apprenticeship programs they've met, that they previously didn't have. Um, to do software development, to, to think about how do we train um, our IT specialists. So, you know, what, what we're really looking at is that overall across the country, because of the investment that the government is now making in apprenticeship, uh, it's really a rebirth. And, and we're excited to be a part of it here at Urban. We took a look at um, Apprenticeship 2000 which is an example of this apprenticeship consortia of, you know, four, uh, five, now six, seven, eight companies all coming together in the Charlotte area. That model is now expanded all over the state. So now we're looking at about 25 uh, youth apprenticeship consortia across the state, companies working with other companies to bring young people into these really good jobs like Mechatronics, but also in healthcare, in IT, and in manufacturing, um, and a lot of the jobs that you know used to require a four-year degree. And what companies are saying to us now is, we can't really find the talent that we're looking for uh, from some of the community colleges, from some of the four years. What we really need to do now is to grow our own. And I think this is a realization of of really what's happened in the labor market. We have about seven million open jobs. Um, even even despite the pandemic, we have really skilled labor that needs to be filled, and companies are are stepping up to the plate with apprenticeship and figuring out how to uh, develop these programs, really develop young people um, into their 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 cha- into their talent pipeline. Mm. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Zach Boren. He's the senior policy program manager at the Urban Institute, talking about apprentice, apprenticeships here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Is Are some of the jobs, some of the apprenticeships um, with some of these companies sort of antiquated? Is it based on the, the, the state, the city? in terms of where you place these young people? I mean, I know manufacturing was 
you know, big in Carolina. I don't know. I don't know the numbers if it's down or up, but you know, RTP is 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 grown uh, with tech jobs. You talk about Charlotte. So, is are some of these type of kind of outdated, and some of these companies need to redevelop themselves, or you're still finding um, places where you could place this young, this young great minds? Oh, really? I mean, I, I find apprenticeship to be more cutting edge and more industry led than anything. Um, than, than what we see before. We have to see that, you know, if you're going to place someone into an apprenticeship, you really have to train them with 21st century skills in, in order to, to stay competitive. We see this, you know, really, you know, not just here in the United States, but with our competitors like Germany and Switzerland and the UK, they are all using apprenticeships to their advantage uh, with some of the biggest corporations. Um, to stay to stay competitive and to to really um, develop their their talent pipeline for jobs that are really hard to fill. So with Apprenticeship 2000, we're talking about this occupation called mechatronics. So it's really kind of thinking about electronics with mechanical engineering that we're combining into a four-year apprenticeship that really leads up can lead up to an engineering degree. So we're talking about really, really cutting edge um, type, types of occupations where some of the machines they're working on are working on a split of a second to, to create a part. And those workers, these young workers, like we met Jordan um, at, at, uh, at um, Apprenticeship 2000, she is really thinking about how do I um, ensure that the machine I'm working on, this really high-tech machine, is going to turn out a product and a profit for her company called Blum. Um, and they're, you know, they're a multinational company, um, and they're located in the Charlotte area. And we find that across, you know, across North Carolina, we're seeing there are really fewer people working in in manufacturing, but they're working in higher-level higher um, higher skill jobs. And that's why we're really seeing companies turn to apprenticeship is because they need to develop their own because uh, these jobs have become really complicated and the talent that's coming out of the colleges um, is really not meeting the demand that, uh, that they need. So what is the um, apprenticeship uh, consortium how does that differ from other types of uh, apprenticeship programs? Yeah, it actually offers a lot of advantages. I mean, most most folks really think about apprenticeships. They think, you know, possibly union, um, maybe in construction, like uh, like welders. Um, you know, we're going to have uh, we're going to bring in uh, carpenters, electricians, HVAC techs, plumbers. You know, all these great occupations that, that people do generally in the trades, a lot of times with, with unions, maybe not so much in North Carolina since it's a low union-based state, but, you know, across the Northeast and across the Midwest, um, union apprenticeship is still really strong. Um, and But we're, what we're seeing in North Carolina is something a little bit different where companies are coming together to figure out uh, the skill gap together. And it has a couple advantages. It's first, you know, for a small company, they may only need one or two apprentices. So it's, it's right. you know, can be cost prohibitive to bring in 
um, you know, an apprentice. Some apprenticeship programs are spending as much as, um, you know, uh, as much as a, a quarter of a million dollars on training an apprentice. Um, Siemens is a great example of this, who's spending that amount, including their wages, to really create, um, you know, this really high caliber worker. If you're a small company, you're not going to be able necessarily be able to front all that cost. So there's really shared resources. They go out and they recruit together. So Apprenticeship 2000 said, we four, five, six small companies, we're going to go out and recruit the best talent from, from local high schools. So we're not just being Detweiler and Ameritech Mold. We're Apprenticeship 2000, and we're creating this really uh, high caliber reputation for apprenticeship programs. And so they're really, what this consortium model does is it offers them, you know, a collective identity and credibility with the schools. I was going to ask, Sue, what are some of the the downfall? Well, not downfalls, but uh, some of the, the the problems some of the programs face and some of the apprentices actually face. My nephew, I'm from Connecticut, you know, he's an electrician. And he was really frustrated. He, I mean, you have to. You got to. You can't uh, wire somebody's house and it burns down. So you have to have those times. It took him three years to get through everything. So do you see any of that frustration? Some of the programs that may have some bumps in the road. Yeah, certainly there are some some challenges in getting you know an apprenticeship program off the road uh, or off the ground. You also um, see where you know not every apprentice you bring on is going to turn out to be you know your professional electrician, your professional software developer. You're going to lose some along the way, and that's that's some of the that cost benefit that that um, is a trade off with doing an apprenticeship program. But overall, we see apprentices doing really well. They're really loyal. Uh, 94% of uh, apprentices who uh, complete a a program are employed and often stay with their company. So there's this real return on investment. Um, We find in a study of South Carolina, uh, the University of South Carolina has found that the return on investment is really high for employers that that start an apprenticeship program. it's $1.26 for every dollar they invest. But along the way, you know, for, for apprentices, you know, there is a challenge. You know, you're going to be starting at a little bit of a lower wage, um, but ultimately you're going to reach that, you're going to reach middle-class wages much faster than you will, um, you know, going for a, a four-year degree. I mean, what we find is that apprentices are actually doing much better economically they earn about $70,000 on average a year when they complete their apprenticeship program in comparison to their college counterparts who are only earning between 50 and 60,000 a year. If you're just joining us, we talk with Zach Boren, a, a senior policy program manager at the Urban Institute here on the Bassett News Radio Show. Zach, I did get some questions, um, and one of which was going to be a question of mine. As a African-American uh, father with two sons, one says he wants to be a, a, a web developer, but, you know, kids change their minds. The other one's in high school. He really doesn't know. He's athletic. He likes history. So we don't know. But my question is, how much of a reach is the Urban Institute doing with this program and 
and communities of colors, maybe historically black colleges. I know you mentioned South Carolina. There's South Carolina State there. How much of a reach goes out to those um, that, you know, in, in these urban areas that um, might have some, some young talent that uh, can help some companies? Yeah, um, absolutely right. We are really reaching out to uh, the black community, to, to other communities of color. It's really important that we, um, you know, make sure that apprenticeship works for, for everyone. Um, you know, in particular, we're working with South Carolina State, for example, to, to start one of their first um, apprenticeship programs in tech. So I don't want to get ahead too far ahead of their announcement, but you know, we're, we're excited to work with some of the HBCUs to, to really um, engage them in this model that can be so effective for people who, who are really looking to get attached to work um, and attached to really good jobs. Um, especially in the tech industry, you talk about web developers. We see this as a key place where, where a young person, instead of having to go and spend 100 or 200K at, at a college to be able to, to get into that field, they can potentially go do apprenticeship um, and get directly in. So companies like IBM, you know, Microsoft, Google, um, some of the biggest tech firms, um, and even some, some small firms. You know, we were working, um, for example, with a small one-person Black-owned shop in, in Tampa that, uh, to develop their first apprenticeship program. Their first hire was going to be an apprentice. So we think it's it's a, a tremendously good opportunity for for a lot of people to get into a variety of different jobs. And there's about there's about over there's over a thousand occupations to choose from. This is so fascinating. I just got a few more questions. If you if you can hang that, I'd, I'd appreciate that. I know we ran yeah. a little late. Um, the uh, what about the criteria um, for the company? to get involved with Apprentice, Apprenticeship 2000 with you guys? Um, and what, what do the kids need to do uh, in high school? Or what are you looking for? Or, or do they reach out? How, does it actually, how do they actually connect both the kids and the uh, companies? Yeah, so for, for companies, it's really about taking a look and seeing what type of talent you have you know, um, in your in your current company, and seeing really where it's hard to, to either keep talent um, to retain them into jobs, or places where you really have a hard time recruiting um, from from other places. I mean, I'll tell you, a lot of companies are telling me they can't poach talent anymore. They really need to they really need to figure out how to create your own. Before, if you needed a welder, you could poach it from you know down the road. Uh, from from you know local you know another local uh, welding company. That's not the case anymore. Um, the talent is really not there, and we need to figure out how to grow it. So, what a lot of companies do is they come to a place like Urban Institute. We help design um, an apprenticeship program for them, um, figuring out what what occupations they really want to design. So we do the on-the-job training. Um, design with them, and then we connect them with a, with an instruction provider. So that can be um, a local community college, for example, or even a high school. Um, so what we do is basically we design the program, and then we have it recognized by the North Carolina um, Department of Community Colleges that recognizes um, uh, apprenticeships across the state. So there's like 12,000 
people who are doing apprenticeships today in North Carolina. Um, and if you're a young person and you're interested uh, in finding out, you know, where, where can I find an apprenticeship? Um, there's a great website. It's run by the U.S. Department of Labor. It's called apprenticeship.gov. And you can go to apprenticeship.gov. There's lots of resources. You can see what are the types of jobs that companies are really uh, hiring for today. And then you can actually uh, put in your zip code and find out if there's an apprenticeship near you uh, to be able to apply for one. Um, and that's one of the best ways to do it. Um, the other way is to call the, the, call the North Carolina Department of Community Colleges and find out um, what apprenticeship programs they have all across the state get connected to one of those local employers. Wow, that, that's, that's awesome. Of course, uh, this, is, this is all a business and personal information for me, uh, and, uh, and that's why I certainly appreciate this. Two, two quick questions. Talk about some of the success stories. I know you mentioned one person, but uh, you can elaborate on that, if you will. And you mentioned the pandemic. I, I can't imagine, but you guys have done it, um, how you maintain your stability in this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that we have? You know, it's certainly been a challenge. Um, I'll start off talking about some of the success stories. One of the su success stories is during the pandemic. Um, we met um, Chris Stone. Um, he was uh, a former apprentice we interviewed in the case study. Uh, you can find it on urban.org if you want to take a read of what Apprenticeship 2000 is and to jump in a little bit deeper. But he started his apprenticeship program when he was 16. And uh, he had a 4.0 GPA, felt like college just wasn't right for him. Since then, he's, he's graduated. He's employed at Blum in the Charlotte area where he did his apprenticeship. Uh, really looking back when, when he talks to us about his apprenticeship, he feel like, feels like he was really further ahead than his peer group at 16. He was working with colleagues who were in their 40s and 50s. He said he learned so quickly to show them respect and really how to work with older people. And he learned also how to make great presentations and time management. And very importantly, he learned how to talk to customers. So along with some of those technical skills that he learned in becoming a mechatronics tech, Chris also learned that uh, some of those essential soft skills uh, he needed to be successful um, in, in a professional setting. Uh, Chris was able to buy his first house right out of his right out of his program. So we're talking about age 21 or 22. He had no college debt and already had four years of paid work under his belt. I'll tell you, I met another uh, another guy at uh, Meritech Dye Mold while I was down there in 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 Mooresville a few years ago, and this young man was age 22, was buying his second house out of debt. No, no college debt whatsoever, and getting married at the same time. I mean, compare that to what a lot of young people are facing after they finish college. They might be on your, they might be on your couch. They might be on grandma's couch. <laughs> they, they may not even be employed. And so this is just such a difference economically on what what people are able to do. We met a fourth year apprentice during the pandemic that was really able to support. Uh, his whole family. Uh, his whole family were, were in other industries. Um, they all lost their, their employment, um, and he kept his employment um, as an apprentice. 
uh, with Apprenticeship 2000, was he really able to support his family uh, through a period of time where they did not have enough money to put food on the table or cover rent? Um, what we find is that apprenticeship is really a more stable field than what most teenagers get into, like hospitality um, and other low-wage minimum jobs. But these are really higher-level wages and higher-level opportunities that come along with them. You know, the final question for you came from Kim um, in uh, Raleigh, actually, and she asked, what are some of the biggest challenges that uh, Apprentice 2000 um, faced in the beginning and now? Um, and she also asked, um, was it um, tough to get some of the bigger corporations? I know you mentioned Google and IBM to to kind of sign on and, and get on board with this to, to to forget about the profits, just come together as as companies and 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 do the right thing. Yeah, so apprenticeship two thousand. I you know when we talk to we talk to all the managers who are currently leading that that effort. And really, the tougher part was really about getting to a collective vision. Um, that was some of the challenge in getting other companies to, to come on. They're really running a, a high-quality apprenticeship program. So this is a program that takes four years to get your, at the end of the day, your professional who completes it. So there's, there's some cost that goes along with this. There's, you know, kind of this long-term vision. And if you're a company that really needs your talent tomorrow, um, you know, apprenticeship 2000, uh, an apprenticeship program isn't going to be able to deliver that in a matter of weeks. It's really thinking about a long-term vision. Where, where do we want to take our company in five years, in 10 years? It's really kind of changing that mindset that a lot of Americans are in, this kind of short-termism of, we need to make profit for next next week or next quarter, next year into we need a strategy for developing our company 10 years from now. And so I think that's really the challenge is kind of changing that mindset of American business to really think about a, a longer term trajectory for where they want to go. Great point. Um, before you go, let people know, I know it's urban.org, but uh, please do give out all the information. I thank you for coming on. This has been uh, worth the time, and certainly I, I'd love to have you back to talk some more about it. But if you can give out your information, that uh, we appreciate it. L.A., I would always be glad to come back and um, come visit. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can come to uh, urban.org or urban.org backslash YA uh, for youth apprenticeship. Um, that's our youth apprenticeship website, and you can come find all the su success stories from our apprentices and from our companies there, and feel free to hit me up on Twitter. And what's your Twitter handle? I'm Zach underscore Boren. Okay. Zach, uh, listen, I appreciate the time. Like I said, this was information for um, our audience. Uh, there are a lot of parents out there and and you know what everything has been going on in the climate and worrying about this talent and this talent you know young minds still trying to figure things out this is definitely a great thing is very refreshing very informative and i think like you said in the beginning of this interview it's a win-win-win i mean everybody wins 
with this apprenticeship. And, and I thank you so much. I, I'll, I'll reschedule with you again. And you be well. Thanks a lot. Thanks, L.A. Appreciate it. Good to have him on. And, and folks, again, urban.org. Um, they, they lay it out there. It's Apprenticeship 2000. Great information. If you have uh, a high school young person that's looking to um, get into something that they believe in and their companies out there for real. He talked about the labor market. There's a lot of skilled jobs out there Goodbye. that are wide open. So hopefully um, we'll get him back on and we'll we'll talk more about this this program. 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130. Zero one three zero, the number to get in touch with us. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM and Chapel Hill, WCLM and Richmond.
his woman and he is my man We can talk about anything He's got nothing to hide He's not afraid of his feelings He's not a slave to his pride He's giving me love So steady He touches my heart Now I'm ready He touches my soul song on the radio and very proud of it it's called i'd rather have love and we're going to do a little bit of this for you hopefully y'all can enjoy it as much as we did performing it so cap are you ready how about you walt my man late you good that's my man steve over here he's my engineer all the music y'all been hearing me record this guy's been behind the boys executing it you know 
Young boy, too. About, what are you, 25? 24? Oh, shit, 24. <laughs> They're getting younger, you, you, you know? Well, let's rock that real quick, player. Take it like we in church. Oh, I was cool in them streets. Yeah, I was cool in them clubs. Real talk, I wasn't thinking nothing about love. I didn't want nobody trying to partake in my stuff. I thought an occasional one night stand would be enough. She ruined my philosophy My heart skips a beat when she comes around I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down I was about to find myself alone But I found myself alone And treat her like me Hey I took all of her wisdom And I used it for selfish gain And I know if she saw this pimping She'd be ashamed I found this girl She ruined my philosophy My heart skips a beat When she comes around Never thought that I'd be ready to settle down I was about to find myself alone But I found myself alone I know
much for coming tonight. I hope you had a good time. I've enjoyed you. God bless. God bless. God bless. Thank you so much.
baby, come walk with me. Cause you've been away too long. I can live selfishly, and I know I was wrong. Oh, I embrace it completely. My life has new meaning, yeah. Baby, I cherish you, and I promise to love. Now it's crazy to me. I've been running all this time You waited patiently On a love You would not find Darling, I need you so deeply And your love has set me free yeah. Baby, I treasure you And I promise to
On the Bass News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill and uh, Carborough, North Carolina. It's L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us wherever you are listening, and, and we appreciate you. And you could have been doing anything else, but you decided to join with us. I want to bring in my guest, of course. He is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Black Athlete Sports Newsroom. Uh, he is Tony T. Mac McLean, and Tony, hope all is well with you again, sir. Appreciate you coming. Ah, shut up. Coming on. Ah, shut up. How are you? Ah. <laughs> Always the commodian, uh, Tony T. Mac McLean. Um, what if, uh, where I got to go after this uh, call? Oh my God! All right, TMI. Thank you for the, for sharing. Mm-hmm. TMI. Uh, <laughs> Want to look at March Madness on the, the men's side real quick, and it, it obviously COVID changed a lot of things, T. Um, but the trend of schools and programs doing a lot better and getting deeper into the the tournament to make it to the Sweet 16, Lead Eight, and so on has been trending for quite some time, even before COVID. We saw Oral Roberts be Florida. Now, when you look at it, you have some traditional uh, schools that are still in it that haven't been really good for quite some time. In fact, they play each other, Michigan and UCLA. Michigan, yeah, with beeline and they've done some things, but, you know, just kind of their number one seed. They're playing a, a traditional the, the program with the most – uh, men's uh, championships at UCLA. And then you have other teams like USC and Gonzaga's who's there. But the Houston's and the Oregon State's and Arkansas hadn't been good since, you know, going back to Nolan Richardson. Uh, what's your take on it? Is the trend showing that this is where we are, or is this also part of the COVID time where teams couldn't play, they couldn't practice, they missed games, and maybe that was uh, had an effect on it? COVID's a factor, but I don't think it's the main factor because you're getting a balance more than anything else. Um, there were a lot of folks, I think, because the quote-unquote blue bloods weren't there, that they that the tournament wouldn't be good. But see, the tournament has always been good when you've had uh, the VCUs make the runs or the uh, or the uh, George Masons. To me, that's always me when, when Butler made their run, and even Gonzaga before they became a power, so to speak. You know, and again, you know, with, with college sports, it runs in trends. Um, now these schools that have been, that were powers before and what have you, you know, they're starting to, you know, uh, rise up. And also with all the different coaching hires, um, I'm, 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 you know, not to get too far off, that was a very interesting hire by IU getting Mike Woodson. I think Mike Woodson right. may want. To, I think Mike Woodson may be the next uh, Jawan Howard, to be quite honest, because he's a you know he's he's a, he, you know he's a grad there. He played there. He knows he knows yeah, the area. Yeah, he played there. And basically, what you know, look at the end of the day, if he can recruit and he can keep. The, the Mr. Basketballs of, uh, of, of of Indiana in town, he'll be fine. But, see, that's the thing. It, it's And even with, you know, Howard. Howard didn't uh, go out and get all the Michigan guys, but he's got a good balance. 
And I think because I think because of his prior coaching and because he's you know he's part of the system in a sense, I think he'll wind up being a very good hire for them. I wouldn't be surprised if you know again they they happen to them what ha- what we saw happen with um, Michigan. But with that being said, yeah, it's a, it's a good balance, and that's what the tournament to me. When the tournament is balanced, when you've got some big name schools, but you also have room for the, all the small schools, that makes it, that you know, makes, you know I, I think it makes just for a better tournament. Now I don't know ratings wise what they're doing, but it's been a lot more you know it's been a lot more fun to watch. Although I must confess, I've been watching more of the women's tournament than I have the men's tournament. Right, and and speaking of that, when you look at the the women's tournament, that, that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Really, with the women, you see the number ones getting there, with the exception of NC uh, State getting upset. Um, but you you have three number ones in there. You know, one of which is playing now. So, you know, it, it hasn't been a lot of differences. I mean, even the Indiana Arizona game, that's a four and a three playing each other. Um, so it, it's talk about the women's side. It's been really good basketball, by the way. And I was so proud. I was so proud of Texas because I thought Maryland came in a little overrated, a little kind of with their chip on the shoulder. We could score on anybody. Texas wants to slow the ball down. They play good man, man to man, and they beat a, a national championship coach and, and freeze. Um, and they've been grinding it out, getting it done. They have a player that might be the first pick in the draft in the WNBA. But it's been a lot of good drama um, from this, from freshmen to veterans to uh, South Carolina kind of grinding it out to get there. They, they won kind of going away late, UConn. And, so it's been, it's been a really good tournament, but I was very happy to see the Indianas, the Arizonas, and like a Texas beating a, a powerhouse like Maryland, who I thought came in with their chest out a little bit. It's, it's been the same way there, too, as well. You know, you're going to look. The women's game has always been top-heavy. You know, they, they you very rarely, you know, when you had the upset in the first couple of rounds, that was probably the most upsets we've seen in the women's tournament in a little while. But it's but but you know as we've gotten closer, we've seen more of the cream come to come come to the top. Although, like you said, you know NC State uh, got pushed to the side, but see again, that's the essence of the tournament. You come out and play your A game one night, you can knock out a number one seed, and that's you know again that's what makes the tournament fun when there is a mix of the quote-unquote top heavies, but some some, some Cinderella uh, stories as well. I think, it, you know, again, it's been a great watch. It's been a great watch. I guess I don't know offhand what the ratings have been, but I think for just a pure basketball fan, whether you're a fan of the women's game or the men's game, this has been a very good um, turn. And, and, look, everybody had withdrawal, I guess, because of last year. So that's, that's probably adding – even more uh, to it, and and the fact that they've been playing on these Mondays and on these um, sort of non-traditional uh, days, I think that's added to it. You know, having a having some men's and women's games on in the afternoon during the during during the week, uh, I think it's been great. 
What do you think um, about the, the the way they've handled the COVID um, with the bubble? Everybody's playing at um, in, in Dallas, at, at Houston, Lucas Oil, and then you know the women doing the, their thing. How do you think the NCAA has handled it thus far? About as well as you can. I mean, you know, to their credit, only one team within the tournament has been affected so far. And, you know, you, you, know, you would have figured that, that there would be a host of teams. You know, the, the men even went so far as to put four, you know, replacement teams on the side just because of that. And they basically have not had to use them as of yet. Now, there's still, you know, there's still, some, there's still a lot of time. But so far, I mean, it, it's sort of like where baseball was last year in the playoffs. You know, so far, so good. You know, you just hope that the championship uh, rounds aren't, uh, aren't going to be affected by it. And first and foremost, you don't want anybody to get sick. So I, I thought well, it I logistically it was going to be crazy anyway, but – but if that was to be the case, again, you got people infected and stuff, and then you got to do all this switching around logistically, it would be a nightmare. But you're right, I think. Hello? It's probably not what they've done. It's more about them being blessed. It's, you know, the men and women are getting sick <laughs> more and, than and, anything and, else. And, 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 I think, and I think also, you know, I think we need to give the schools a little bit more credit than actually the NCAA because they've had to deal with it all year. The NCAA, um, they, you know, look, this is a money grab for them. They just want, they just want, they just want a tournament. They want this to play itself out. And you know, you've had basically one incident with the women with Gino, and then you had the one incident uh, in the men's tournament. So, considering how it could have been, you know, I think everything has played out. You know, for the most part, pretty well, but there's still a lot. But again, still a lot more, still a lot more to, uh, to go, though. What do you think? Uh, just on a sidebar, when you talked about uh, Mike going to uh, his alma mater, does that you think logistically hurt the Knicks at all? Is, is at, you know, in the timing of anything, you know, taking that position? James Dolan hurts the Knicks. This doesn't hurt them. I'm, 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 happy for I'm happy for him. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's, no, it's, it's, he'll, you know, I believe he'll be there till as long as their season runs. And then, and, and, and he'll be doing stuff on the side. I'm, I'm sure uh, they have some sort of a, a working agreement. Put it this way. He's done, he's done more in all these years than, than a certain former uh, player, uh, who was the, one of the laziest GMs in the history of professional sports? So no, 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 no biggie with uh, with um, with uh, Mike Woods. I'm wondering too. He reached out. I saw a report. He reached out to Larry Brown, uh, a blast from the past. And yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of guys that's coming back from 20 years, 20 trillion years. And a guy like Larry Brown seems to be really hard to get along with anyway, just as Alan Iverson and some other people, even at the college level of Kansas. So. Hey, Roach's in-laws and Larry Brown, can't get rid of them. 
Yeah. Hey, you you you're right. He he but these guys they come back from the dead and and get these positions. I thought thought that was well, that'd I, I be think, I think it's interesting. more I think he's gonna be more of a like a consultant, which means that I don't think he'll be physically on the bench. You know, you gotta remember Larry Brown's like uh, two hundred years old. There's only so much that you right. know that there's only so much traveling and whatever he can do. Like I said, I think he'll be you know, to be a consultant or or something like that, you know, maybe you know, do some game film. But no, I, I don't think, I don't think you'll see him on the sidelines. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if if he did. But um, you know, if he can help him out, you know, to help recruit a kid or or, or what have you, you know, see again, the whole difference between college and the pros is yeah, it's good to have the X's and O's, but you know. 50, 60% of your work is, is trying to make sure you, um, you know, get that roster squared away. And, and let's face it, people, you know, the top players in Indiana don't stay in Indiana anymore. They go to different schools, and that's why you're seeing more – that's why you're seeing um, their, their fortunes go down. And plus, um, they're, you know – They've been a little impatient because what is he's going to be what their fifth sixth coach in the last uh, ten years something like that. Yeah, been, and we've seen a certain been, we've seen a certain brother get 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 jerked around too uh, not too long ago. Um, all he did was all he did was so, get to the final four. Right. Right. So it, it, we'll see. It'll be it's a, it's an interesting job. Job is a, you know, Indiana basketball. You know, it's still it's still big. So we'll see what happens. A lot has been said about uh, Shaka Smart leaving Texas, and that just speaks to the culture of Texas. Even the basketball, where they're known for football, that you know, guys don't want to stay there. They, they, they essentially, he made a lateral move, my, in my opinion, to go into Marquette, but he'll probably be a bigger fish in a little pond than staying in Texas and having to deal with all the, the boosters and the you alum know, and probably a lot know, of the racial stuff, too. Personally, I think he's going to, I, I think it's a move up, to be quite honest. Marquette's basketball history is, is Marquette's basketball history is, is much more, is the, Texas would dream. Texas basketball would would dream about having a history like uh, Marquette. I think it's a move up. I just think it's a move. I think it's well, a I'm move just up. looking I at the. I mean, he might. Right. Yeah, I'm just looking at the resources. Well, you know, look. There's still look. It depends. Like again. Has Texas won a champion? Has Texas won an? Has Texas even been to a Final Four? I mean, I, I, think, nope. I, I know they have, but, but but see, look at Marquette's basketball history and Texas's basketball history. It's 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 not even it's it's you know it's it's not there's no comparison. Absolutely no comparison. Just the look, just the McGuire and uh, the the era under uh, Dwayne Wayne uh, under with, with Dwayne Wade and Vic Van Exel. Texas can't touch that. Right. They may be able to pay a few more bucks, but no, Texas, you know, uh, this is this is a you know, I think this is a move up for him because he's actually in a basketball culture. Down there, there's so much BS you have to deal with. And, you know, remember, they you know, 
they they their their golden era was with what Rick Barnes, please, right. And their, and their most greatest player played one year there and then went on to the NBA anyway with uh, Kevin Durant. So, you know, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's just that it's that you see people leaving like that. Uh, we've seen it on both sides. And then, of course, they did Charlie Strong wrong. So it it's just not a job that, you know, well, the see, brothers need to be going to. Right? Yeah, well, see, the thing, you know, we talk about we talked about this with the HBCUs, but we also have to talk about this in regards to the white schools too. How do you see yourself when you think of Texas sports? First thing you think of is the football, good, bad, or indifferent. Basketball, I'm not going to say it's something that they do um, that they do during you know during the um, just just in between basketball, but I mean during football season. But, you know, and, and you know, uh, I, I take it back, probably probably the guy who's probably been the most successful there is a, a guy from our, 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 our uh, neck of the woods, Tommy Pender. Tommy right. Pender had some great years down there. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 you're right. He, he, they were running and gunning. And I, I'm not sure. Was Durant under him? I'm not sure. No, no, no. He might have been. No, no, no. I, I, uh, I think Penders had. I, that, that's a, that's a, that's that's. I think he was gone uh, by that time. Okay. But, but I, if I remember correctly, it was a. I think it was a money dispute that he wound up leaving. They didn't want to pay him because because again, look. At the end of the day, everything comes back to football, and I think still that and I think um, Chaka did what he could sort of change the culture but they look they're always going to be seen as a football school and and they will always put their resources for uh football over basketball and i think you know the guy who comes in whoever takes that job um good luck good luck to him because you don't have to deal with the same uh bs yeah, and that's been under white and black coaches too. By the way, we've seen white what? coaches like you mentioned, Penders, and just just leaving, like bailing on it, you know, on it um, because of the 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 friction from um, you know not even presidents but the alumni and everybody else. So be interesting. But I, I'm a you know we love Shaka Smart, and he, he he's always going to be a great basketball coach wherever he goes. I'm sure he's going to do well. At Marquette, um, I, I want to touch on the NFL real quick, only because you know, surprise, surprise, NFL with the seven-game schedule. Um, Alvin Kamara and a lot of prominent players have come out and said this is stupid. You know, it's it's dangerous. Um, it puts more pressure on their body and and all of those things. Um, but like the NFL, they just Ignore it. Is it going to take a Tom Brady-like uh, person to come out and say something along the lines to try to uh, at least let them reexamine this? Because again, it's all we know. It's a money grab, but it's also physically it's going to be you know even more tolling on these guys' bodies playing these games. Well, the fact you know. They have nobody to blame but Demore Smith with this because they, you know, it, it's already, you know, they agreed to it. Unless, you know, 
unless they're willing to do some sort of class action suit, um, it's going to happen. And I don't, you know, uh, Tom Brady, Tom Selleck, Tom Hanks, Jesus Christ, no one's going to, you know, they, they want, you know, come hell or could see, they want more games. Remember, they want to, if, if it was up to them, they would get rid of preseason and basically start the season in in August. That's right. what they want. They want, you know, and, and you see with the, uh, with the new TV contracts, they're pushing, you know, like, you know, um, Amazon Prime basically is now the home for its Thursday night games. Uh, they're going to be allowed to flex on Monday night football, which may actually save Monday night football for, for the, the, the last weeks of the season. But no, this is this has been this is something that's been in the works for for a long time, you know. And you know, they they, they say player safety one minute, and then you know, basically eighteen games in in sixteen weeks. That that's the, you know, it's there, you know. They, they 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 could give a damn about player safety. They're they trying their 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 safety is in the back of their pants. <laughs> yeah, and and it's 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 you're right. Demora Smith has been one of the worst. Um, and you know, attorneys dealing with attorneys, and and I'm not surprised that he he cut this deal. Um, but you know, like you said, shame on some of the players that didn't really. You know, it's almost like, you know, but it's almost like it's almost like um, some parents complain about issues in the community or a school, but they don't go to the meetings. Like if you're going to complain about it, then you need to step up and do something about it. Well, you know, again, you know, know, when 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 they agreed to this thing a few years back, they played, you know, the, the owners negotiated through the media. And they basically said, well, hey, you know, we've agreed to this already. Uh, the players just have to vote on it. And, you know, again, it, 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 you know, it put the players in a bad light. But, see, my thing would have been, you shouldn't have this. There shouldn't be a thing where they're forcing you to do this. And, right. you know, I've you know, let's, let's put it this way. When was the last time anybody has seen Demari Smith in, in public? I mean, I've seen, I've seen more of Jimmy Hoffa in public than I have um, Demari Smith. Since he's been, a, since he's been, um, I mean, he was, he was, a, he was, he was, he was ubiquitously absent during the whole uh, Colin Kaepernick thing. He was absent during all this thing of the quote-unquote social unrest. It's, it's like you know, I see the Invisible Man more than I see Demore Smith. Wow. Yeah. And. It's it's just amazing. Like I said, some people, some of these players, you know, if if it's almost like you get that con, somebody gives you a contract or something to sign, you know, and you don't read the fine print, you just kind of sign off on it, and then you complaining after the fact. I'm not saying that about Alvin Kamara, but his name up, but he certainly so, has been one of the most vocal ones. Um, even before everything, it was kind of vocal, like, you know, no, I don't want to put this and on sad, me. And the sad thing is, this was all this was all a done deal even before he became a pro. Remember, he's only been in the league, what, three, four years? Three so years, he, yeah, it, something like that. It's, all, it's, it's already, it's, it, this was already cast even before he, um, you know, got his first paycheck. So it's, it's you know. 
but it, but see, again, it, it, it's going to be done. Uh, you know, unless unless the players are willing to, you know, and look, we know the owners aren't going to negotiate. They're going to, you know, they're going to try to. They're going to. What they'll basically do is just, you know, have it play out into the media, and then they'll have their in-house media goons, you know, make the players out like that they're greedy. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's you know, it's, right. it's and, 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 and the thing about it is they've oversaturated the thing and all this other stuff, but, um, at, you know, at some point, you know, it's, it's, it's going to come back to haunt the NFL. It unfortunately won't happen today. It won't happen tomorrow, but it's going to be a gradual sort of thing. Talking with Tony T. Mac McLean here on the Bassey News Radio Show on the Bassey News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill. T, uh, I want to ask about the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I was talking with somebody about, um, in fact, my son, we were breaking down some stuff, but I was talking to another friend about where the Eastern Conference is. You look at Philly, they didn't make a, a big splash. I, I thought they gave up a lot to get. George Hill, he's 126 years old, but they got him. I, I understand what they were trying to do. Um, and then you look at some of the other. 127, but I'm not counting. Okay, well, yeah, that's oh yeah, that's in dog years, so it's you know <laughs> I I got it, George Hill. But you look at the Brooklyn Nets, and I know um, how you feel because I feel the same way about Steve Steve Nash. But what it seems they've been doing outside of talent, because they've had some injuries, and and by the way, the Lakers uh, uh, picking up Drummond is, the, I mean, the gift that keeps on giving. I, I thought I think Drummond's gonna show he still is the bad man, um, and they need that bona fide center so that they can move big fella to the four. But with the with the Nets, Steve Nash is 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 done a good job in a sense of, or at least the management's done a good job. And making sure that Mike D'Antoni, who is a horrible coach, but he will figure out a way to score a lot of points. We know that. he's going. They, his teams are going to score a lot of points. They just don't play no defense. And then he's got his defensive coach on the other side. And they got a good balance. Even with the controversies, uh, they got some guys hurt, but they still got a lot of talent. Assess Brooklyn with him and how they've kind of worked it out as coaches, because he's really not coaching, like you said. Um, he, he's got his, his guys running offense and the defense, and right now they're, they're neck and neck with the Sixers. And that's, and, and that's the way it should be. You know, that, you know that's, I think to me that was, the, that was the biggest red flag as to how he was going to delegate um, things. And, you know, give management credit. They put the players there. Uh, I mean, they basically got um, Aldridge for – a, a life supply of cream of wheat, basically, and yep. he gives yep. them. He gives them. I mean, it's theirs to lose in the East right now, as far as I'm concerned. It's theirs to lose in the East. They're, you know, they have the balance. Uh, the one thing that could possibly haunt that that could possibly come back to haunt them is not having an experienced coach in the postseason. That's that's where right. it could possibly miss. But Really, just if you're just going by team versus team, maybe the Sixers are the only one team that could beat them. I, the Celtics are too um, up and down uh, to me. 
Um, Miami bringing in Oladipo, I think is it's they've got all the same players, six five. You know, they got the same. I don't understand and, 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 you know, that last, move. The last, and see, well, see, last year, you know, they they definitely took it. You know, look, they they knocked off the big. You know, they knocked off the Bucks. So you have to give them their due. But see, I don't think that they're gonna. Let's put it this way. I don't think they're going to sneak up on anybody this year. I think like right. you know, last year, you know, it's not. It's going to be very, very tough for them to sneak up um, on teams now. Um, and I think especially the fact that it's not, um, it's it, you know, it's somewhat traditional now because they're back in the arenas and slowly but sure, you know, it's there's a normalcy now. I think Miami probably took more advantage of the bubbles than probably any team, and they were able to ride that to the finals. I don't think they'll be – are they going to be in the mix? Yes. Do I see them getting back into the finals? I don't know. I, I, I'd be surprised. I'd like to – see, this is going to be one of those years where I want to really see where the matchups are. And because it's so relatively even, I think there's only, what, four, three or four games separating um, the last – was uh, like six through ten, if I remember correctly. So right. I don't think I think between the element of surprise that they had last year and teams as a whole got better. Yes, they did get better too, but I think the rest of the East got a little bit better as well. And look, if it comes down to them in Brooklyn, you know, and I know a lot of people said this last year when they got to the East and not, but I think. This is a different. This is a different animal you're dealing with here with Brooklyn as opposed to Milwaukee last year. Yeah, but I trust the Doc Rivers over Steve Nash. Look to your point about that experience factor in the playoffs, matchups, knowing matchups, how to match up. Um, you know, Ben Simmons still concerns me, but I, you know, I, I like Philly's chances, Brooklyn, but you know. Outside of that three, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, like you said, from the Knicks down, uh, it's a lot of teams buying for. But again, the, you got to be proud of the Knicks. I mean, the, the way they're playing the game. I, and see, so what people said, someone said, well, they came back on the Wizards. The, the Wizards are still an NBA team, and they were down 19 points in that game or 17 points. They came back and won. The, the Knicks of old, of recent, would have not won that game. In fact, they would have probably got blown out by 30 or something. But they came back and won the game. So you look at them as at four right now. Charlotte's playing well. Atlanta with Trey Young. This kid has got the Hawks playing a lot of, uh, better. Assess like that four through eight right there. You got New York, Charlotte, Atlanta, Boston, and the Heat. Pacers on the outside looking in. Well, if, 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 if imagine if Drummond had went to Atlanta, right? That I think they're 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 like a big man away. I think from you know possibly being in in, in that mix. Look, the Knicks are. I've said it. I said it day one. I said it as they're a work in progress. This year, it'll be nice to get into the playoffs. Um, I think everybody's got to you know. Hold their water a little bit. I, you know, let's put it this way: them making the playoffs is going to be it's 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 it part it's 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 a part of the the rebuild. Um, 
if they're where they're where their season's really going to start is in the off season as to where they're going to add what they're going to add to it, and 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 even if they were they can't get stupid with it, they can't get stupid with it. If they make the playoffs, all right, keep it going, but don't make bad decisions getting you know guys that well, are forty years old that you think is well, going to help well, the well, team see, and stuff like that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Phil and Isaiah aren't there, so they can't mess up the so, – so so far they can't mess up the salary cap. This year, you know, they, they, now, you know, they were, I guess, in the mix to get um, Drummond. I mean, they may still get him in the offseason, but that, that, that's still a long ways away. But um, end of the – you know, end of the day, I would ra- – I want to see – I don't want – I don't want to see them – get any older see i was still skeptical about getting um uh, about uh, d rose because i was like this, right. this, is a reunion, this was a reunion tour that was that that was unnecessary but for the most part he has done a very good job being mentor and still putting in some minutes they have a for the first time in forever they have a core to work around between quigley um barrett um, why am I forgetting my man's name? Uh, Randall and um, right and Toppin. I think they have something to work around. They have to do it. But again, if they can sneak in the playoffs and maybe get a little, you know, playoff experience, that will definitely help. But yeah, just you know, let's not let's, let's you know let's not see them, you know, go casino. You listen to the chat rooms and all the Facebook pages. I was gonna say they, them, them, them they, dumb they, New they, York they fans they, were ready they to trade. They, they They're ready trade, to get they rid of Barrett. Well, they, 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 well, look, they've traded. They they basically trade Randall every day because you know he's not a superstar. And I'm like, no. When you had one, you didn't appreciate him when he was there. When you had Melo there, you didn't right. appreciate him when Melo when he was there. And now you want to basically get rid of a guy that that's you know what you can't have it both ways. It's just you know, you know. Uh, unfortunately, the the a lot of a lot of Nick fans are also Jet fans who are who are just you know borderline lunatics um, in 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 whatever they want to trade everybody and everyone after every game. This is something where you have to let it play out. All these you know people you know the biggest lie going is that you can't rebuild in New York, and then I and I would say where the hell have you been the last twenty years? This is this is this is year five of the twenty year rebuilding plan. Embarrass a good player, but as soon as he if he struggled, they 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 were like you know oh well we need it he's not going to work in New York we need it. Also, also he's you know truth be told, the whole thing of Duke guards who have flopped in the NBA he gets a lot of that too. Right. There are nights. There are a lot, and there are nights when he looks a little bit lost. But see, again, that's the whole thing about building the team. There's going to be. My whole thing has been: look, I, you know, you know, I go back to you know the golden days in a sense. You know, you know, the days before black and the days before color TV and everything. But you've got to let this team be built. You can't do quick fixes. Quick fixes is the reason why. They've been restarting and restarting and restarting. You have to let them play. You look, you look at how the other teams have, you know, had that dead period and then, you know, built themselves up. You know, you, you have to go through this. 
And if it means, put it this way, as much as I want to see them make the playoffs, if they, if by some chance they miss this year, but they are able to improve overall, I'm good with it. But see, you know, again, it's going to take a hell of a collapse for them to not make it. So they're, they're going to be in it. Again, are they the fourth best team in the East? No, absolutely not. But they are. They're, they're going to, you know, you know, more than likely they're going to be a playoff team this year, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, but right, it's a real good thing, and and. I think it's a, I think it's a morale thing too. I think it's a good thing they make the playoffs. The but the to the key is what you said. The off season. You don't want to be bringing in forty year old guys. You got to keep the program going the way it is. Bill, you can bring in that Derrick Rose leadership, but not that old. And and it's got to be a guy that understands. Like like I was teasing, like the, the George Hills. Yeah, he can't right. be the focal point. They they cannot go five steps forward and then go twenty steps backwards. They can't do that. They can't because you know, the, for lack of a better word. Because I was going to say this. They can't bring in like a Al Horford. Let's put it that way. I'll, I'll just 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 use right. as an example. And, and sometimes they have a tendency to say, "Oh my God, this guy's this guy's available." You know, we need to grab this Al Horford, pay pay a lot of money on him, and they got him two years too late. See, Isaiah's problem was that he would read these guys' uh, basketball cards, and apparently Isaiah can't count because he just likes to overpay for it. That, 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 was, that was, you know, you know, when you give a whole bunch of money to Jared Jeffries, you know, you, you know that's, 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 that's just lunacy. And then, you know, they're notorious for getting, they're notorious for getting guys Five years past their prime, and no, that 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 it can't keep going back and doing the same old thing. Now, if again, if you're bringing them in to be role players, that's another thing. But you've got a core, you have a core here. You have to build around it. They can make some trades. They have a little bit of cap space. Not you know you know they can't you know they can't go out and get the two max guys, but they can do some stuff. And if they were to, you know, it it can be done. It it can definitely be done. It's just going to, you know, and the thing is, if it's done correctly, they could be, they could find themselves in the mix within the next maybe one to two seasons if everything goes, because again, they've got a core. For the first time in like forever, I mean, first, first time since like, under the Patino years, when you had Patrick in his prime, you had Mark Jackson in his prime, and 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 a few other, you know, they had um, you know, um, um, Derek Harper was actually good for them. Derek Harper was good yeah, for them. I Harper, thought. But Harper, but Harper, yeah, but 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 they they squeezed they squeezed basically the last three years of of of, of his career uh, out of them. But yeah, it's it's been right. a while since the since the core of their team has been in that 25 to 28 year range. So, you know, it's there. And now, now so the rest of the teams in the East, they're sort of in the same, they're sort of in the same dude. Now, Indiana's probably a little more behind than the Knicks. And um, I have no idea what Orlando's doing, and neither do they. And that's, 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 that's the sad part. Uh, Atlanta's probably... Atlanta is definitely ahead of, of where the Knicks are, so they're they're not that far away from from 
really, I think, going into that elite category sometime next year. But, um, it's you know, I mean, if everything goes as is, we're looking at Brooklyn versus L.A. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that would be the consensus, although I thought um, getting Rondo with the Clippers, they needed that that guard that could play in the playoffs and have that leadership. Yeah. He, he'll make some big shots yeah. and stuff. So but that was but, a nice but, uh, move I, I, for them. I, I think there, I think there, you know, you get that four to five year window to win in the NBA, and if you don't take advantage of it, you become the, you, you become Utah. Right, and by the way, Utah is very good this year. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, they got one of the premier backcourts, and they they got a big center. So, you know, they they're you know, we'll see. I mean, they're they're yeah. pretty good. They're pretty darn good right now. You know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm more optimistic about them than I am like a Portland who who seizes the hell out of their fans. Well, they keep they they keep a stellar backcourt, but they don't build from the front court. And that's the problem. That's why good, Denver they're might they're be good in the wild. They're good enough. They're good. At, they're good enough to get to the second round. Yeah, good enough. To Lillard, get to the second round. they'll put up 50 points and stuff like that, but. You're right. Mm-hmm. You got to have a big, somebody that can stretch the stress the uh, it's a, look, the look, offense to 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 steal. To, you know, and maybe I'm old school when I say it. Just to steal, to, to to sort of paraphrase James Brown. We all know it's a guard's world, but it wouldn't be nothing without a center. Yeah, it's a man's world. The center is a man's world. <laughs> well, I'm saying, he's a guard people, is a guard people, world. World. Yeah, but the NBA is guard. Look. The NBA is now more guard oriented, but where there's a difference is when you got a big. And the Lakers have perfect, perfect example of that. And the Nets getting Aldridge is a perfect example of that because you know they're very guard oriented, but now they have a presence in the middle, and that's what makes them tough. And plus, he's going to be he's going to be playing angry because you know he felt like he didn't right. get you know he's never for whatever. You know, for whatever happened, it just never worked with him in San Antonio. Right. He's a gentle giant, too. He's a very soft-spoken guy. I think they wanted him to be a little more aggressive. Um, and that's just not his style. Um, and that's and he should have learned that with Duncan because Duncan, that's, that's Duncan wasn't I mean, aggressive. You know, <laughs> what, you know, what, were you guys, what were you guys watching the last, you know, 15, 20 years? <laughs> yeah. Unless they expected him to put up, you know, Duncan like numbers and championships and comparing them to Duncan, but you know it's just it's well, just interesting. Uh, the good thing is he doesn't have to be the guy in uh, in Brooklyn, which I think right. is, which I think that's I think that's the there lies the difference. Right, and that's why I said even with Drummond, he'll be playing. He's playing for a contract. You know he got he's coming out like a you know a, a mad dog, you know. Um, and to prove that he still got it, these guys, you know, it's, it's a lot of testosterone going around there. Not just about money; people don't understand, but they like to put it on that. Uh, speaking of uh, a talented athlete, you know, that wants to play to win, Deshaun Watson. How much money do you think he's going to lose, even with traded? With all these allegations, I'm not saying people are right or wrong. If the women are right or whatever, I know Mike Patton was telling me about the attorney that is involved with this, that he lives next to the Houston Oilers owner, that he's done, 
some some other work in, in the Houston area against players before. I'm just saying. But how much do you think? Because it's really about a money grab. The, the NFL is trying to sink Deshaun, um, uh, not only uh, with his allegations. Let's hope it's not true, but um, also the fact that with the allegations that they want to take care, take away his money. As they really it's, do. It's the just the whole timing of this really just there's just something not right here. And and look, I am not trying to call all these women liars, but right. It's very interesting that with all of these suits, all of them are civil, not criminal. Right. I mean, I'm no lawyer. And I, and, and I don't try to play uh, Benjamin Crump on radio or TV or what have you, but I find it real interesting that none of these charges have been criminal charges. It's all been civil. Right. I mean, you would think one would be criminal or, or a bunch would be criminal, but they're all civil, which, 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 which to me, it's, not, it's ironic you say money grab. Um, <laughs> I mean... Right. I, I, you know, and the thing is too, T. The thing is too, T. They're all civil. So if the NFL jumps into this thing, in civil matters, this ain't criminal. It ain't hurting the brand. It's a civil thing. It might be out there. Then we could, we'll definitely see the writing on the wall about how the, the hypocrisy of it. When you look at the well, white players look, that well, get in well, trouble. Well, well, you know what? Here's the thing. The precedent has been set. Raymond Wright. Michael Vick. Um, you know, history. All you got to do is look at this. See, the NFL gives themselves away by their actions. Right. Now, right. I, you know, now, it's interesting that the uh, kid in Seattle, uh, they've almost made him um, – you know, almost like a sympathetic figure, so to speak. Now, look, again, it's a slippery, you know, it's a very slippery slope, and I'm not trying to call any of these women liars, but someone please tell me why all of these suits are all civil and not criminal. Not one right. is criminal. And even the police have said we don't have any um, evidence. If someone could, you know, Explain that to me, and then I can answer your question. But right now, it stinks all to be damned, as far as I'm concerned. This looks, it does. This, this, and you, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the surface, this looks like we're going to get this kid. We're going to get this kid. And, you know, I had some people, you know, including Mike Patton, said, well, it's probably not the Houston owner. And he said it, from his – Contacts that you know they he's the, the owner's not smart enough to pull something off, but I, I, I gotta believe that this is some kind of uh, uh, retaliatory or the fact that they want to, um, you know, make it difficult for him to be traded. But, you know, but, but uh, we'll, see, we'll see, here's the thing if we just look at it on a pure football level why would you hurt yourself because look I said it before I said, it, it, 
I think he's played his last game with the Texans. I will be shocked if you ever see him suit up for this because between the way this team was stripped, how everything is played out, and how this looks just on the surface. But see, it just shows you how far uh, certain folks will go to do something. They're willing to – they want to scandalize his name, but see, guess what? When you come back to – if you have to – if and when you trade him, you're not going to get everything you want for him because you went on yep. your way to scandalize his name. You can't have it both ways. Yep. You can't scandalize his name and then want a first-round draft pick for him. Right, and that was my point. That um, To Michael's point, is, is this guy, if it's the owner, then he definitely don't know what he's doing because if you're going to, if you're going to degrade – uh, uh, this man and defame his name. You hurting yourself if you trade him. You hurting yourself. It, it, you know it's just stupid. You know that's why I said, like I said, this this attorney is is getting limelight and trying to get a lot of money. Um, but with ownership, as you know, we work wherever. Well, you know, his shoes weren't tied right if it was us. You know, they're looking for a reason not to pay you top dollar. Well, 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 and so you get this, this point. Way. Put it this way. And take it for whatever it's worth. This is the son of the guy who basically said the convicts are running the asylum. Right. So you already – so in his mind, he you already sort of know – what he's thinking. It's, you know, it, it always goes, you know, forgive me for quoting the movie The Godfather, but there's a lot, there's the, one of the lines in there where, where uh, uh, Corleone Vito tells um, Sonny, don't let people know what you're thinking. And right. let's be honest, they have, they, they have basically, this the team that has owned this, franchise, I mean, the, the family that has owned this franchise has not been shy about letting you know what they really feel about their players, especially their black right. ones. Because, and, and again, the precedent was set with uh, Hopkins. And to a certain extent, hey. Andre Johnson. And Andre Johnson, and, you know, you know, Andre Johnson is about, not docile, but Andre, you know, Andre Johnson is about as you know whatever you can get, but even they wanted to you know scan they even tried they even scandalized him. So right, eh. nothing new with with this franchise, and you know, they be yeah. damned. It, 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 yeah. At this point, yeah. it, it's yeah. not going to succeed uh, doing it the way yeah. they did doing it right now. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, come couple of baseball things before we get out of here. Um, I know all these uh, uh, sports are, you know, trying to kind of, you know, soften the COVID restrictions. Baseball is doing this. What do you think about what they're doing now, uh, allowing more people in? Uh, you know, Texas full-blown, the state, the baseball team, and everything. And then you have situations where now families can travel um, with the team, baseball team. 
to these games. Uh, what do you think of, of them making those moves, especially with last year, like I said, I thought baseball got it right. Like, they got it right, uh, period. And now they're just like, okay, let's just kind of open it up, especially with Texas Rangers. Twenty. Look, be be very very careful. Even you know, even 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 the CDC folks are saying yes, things are getting better. But hold on there, Baba Louie. It's you know, it's 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 you know, let it let it let it progress, let it progress. But see, we'll you know, you know, we're gonna. I I, I think I think you know. Let's put it this way. I know at one point on the site we were doing a uh, COVID team of the week. Um, I'm putting all my money in Arlington for being the, uh, not just the COVID team of the week, but the COVID team of the year. Hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting. Because, see, everybody else is, is trying to just take it gradual and gradual. And, of course, you know, Texas – and and Florida, the two the two states, um, you know, I, I feel, I'm I'm also fearing for the for 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 the for the for the Braves a little bit too because we all know we know how law abiding and uh, we know how law abiding and um, cool the, the state of Georgia is. I just you know this way, right? I I, I hope nobody offers the Braves a glass of water while they play. <laughs> Offer something when they play, oh, but they're you're going, right. They're Florida going, they're, Texas, or they're going, or they're going to damn jail. Apparently, so. If Florida and Texas hit hard with the COVID, yet they're the 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 ones that want to just put it on blast and open up to all the fans, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with that. Um, final question for you: What you look? I was reading an article on on. You know, when you look at some of the pitching staffs out there, um, who would you say maybe top three pitching staffs in baseball? I mean, I I, I still think you put um, you put the Mets there. You got to put the Dodgers there with their rotation. Dodgers um, over the Mets. Dodgers so, over the Mets. Dodgers over the Mets. Clearly, clearly. Not right. Right. Not uh, and the Padres. I mean, I think the Padres yeah, got a really yeah, uh, good yeah, pitching yeah. staff. Uh, the 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 one the one staff that if everything works out right for them, I think Cardinals. Like if everything, if mm. Wainwright, if Wainwright is half of what he's been and what have you, like I said, I, I personally think it's the you know again, I personally think it's their division to lose. Personally, I think, and then and if they get any kind of pitching. They're going to be scared. They, that that could be one of those ones where they may go run and hide, um, like you know, like '84 Dodgers, '98 Yankees, you know, '86 Mets, in the sense where they where that thing is over by Memorial Day. Hmm. What about the Reds? I think they have an underrated pitching staff. Well, they've got Sonny one. Gray, got, Castillo, those guys. Well, see. I don't think I think Sunny I, I think I don't think I think Sunny Days Gray's are Sunny Gray's days are numbered in Cincinnati. I think they're going to build around Castillo and see what they can get for a Sunny Gray. 
because they didn't even try yeah. to negotiate. They didn't even try to negotiate. I think they made up their mind, we're going to center around Castillo because we can't pay everybody. You know, they're going to, they're going to, you know, they'll take, unfortunately, they're going to take a step back after making the, the playoffs. But they, they, you know, at least on the surface, it looks like that they're going to build around Castillo and the pitching staff and go from there. Are they, um, they're probably, they're probably, unfortunately, it's probably going to hurt them because it's going to take, the, it's going to, they're going to take a step back because um, even with the Cubs and their uncertainty, they're, they're going to be whatever. And um, I was going to say Milwaukee, but apparently um, J- uh, John Hader can be had right now. So mm. I hope Uncle Steve is listening. What about? What about the, the uh, three teams, the A's, the Indians, and the Braves? Braves, I think, you know, again, the Braves, are the, the Braves are the class in the West. The A's will, you know, they'll probably fight for wild card. I personally think the Astros win that division. Um, and who's the third team, I'm sorry? The Indians. Uh, Bieber and Plesak. We rebuild with a small R because they're they're you know they're going this way they're going to be better than I think people think they are because I really think uh, Jimenez and um, Rosario again I think that's their double play com I think that's their Alomar and Vizquel for the next ten fifteen years barring injury hmm. what they've got to do is build around it and they, but they but they've let that roster. They've let that roster go. Now they got pitching, so they'll be in, they'll be in the mix to a certain extent. But I I think it's going to be tough for them to make it even as a wild card because you know are they going to beat out say the Blue Jays? I, I can't see that. Could they possibly beat out the A's? Maybe, but um, I just you know. But you, if you look at that division there, in though, with, I mean, even with Kluber and Bauer gone, and you know Carrasco, I mean, pitching wise, I think the White Sox have decent pitching. But I think if the Indians get pitching, you know, they they can make make still make a run for, you know, if not the playoffs, uh, even the division if things go well, right. Man, it depends. It depends. I mean. Minnesota's still very, very good. I think I think we've all. I mean, I, yes, I know they can't get out of the first round to save their lives, but <laughs> they're there, there. And see, the White Sox took a big that you know losing losing uh, uh, that outfielders. That's that's a big blow. That's a real big blow. I mean, they got pitching. They're sort of them and sort of Cleveland maybe sort of mirror images where they have enough pitching, but I just don't know. You know. I don't know if they have quite enough now. Now, um, if they were to add another bat, now, let's, you know, if they were to add another quality bat, then, then it becomes a little bit more interesting. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's um, of the three you mentioned, I think the Braves are the only one that's a lock for, the, uh, for, for any postseason. And the Padres, you know, Darvis got a little long in the teeth, but it's still good. You got a Cy Young winner and Snell. And, I mean, they again, just talking about the pitching staffs, I, I think it's more experience and, okay, no hangovers from last year for them. They got pitching. They got, you know, some talented at, at every position. 
is and and you know having a different manager in there. I think that will be the keys if they want to beat. I mean, the Dodgers are just loaded pitching wise. I mean, yeah, you know. Their motivation is 20 miles up north or up south. However, I, I, I don't know my uh, whatever. Their, their, motiva- their, mo- their motivation is uh, last year's playoff. That's enough of right. a motivation thing for them. That's, you know, until, until they can beat the Dodgers when it actually counts, it's, it's, it's not going to mean anything. They can they can they can they can be the Slam Diego all they want, but if 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 the Dodgers can do Slam Slam Diego, then <laughs> yeah, they, they, over yeah. They, they got look. I mean, Dodgers they, they could throw six starters at you. You know, I mean, you know, uh, bring them Bauer and Bueller and, and Price, and I mean, <laughs> they just next one up. Uh, and that that'll be the key, but I think that the Padres could get hang with them. They just got to have the confidence and no hangover from the exciting year they had last year. And also, just for you know, what's and giggles, say they talk to Cincinnati and say what you want for Gray. Because mm. he fit them perfectly. Because he'd be back in his own. He'd be back in L.A. He'd be back in Cali on a on a contending team. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, look, look. It's March, man. <laughs> March. <laughs> you know what can happen between now and just uh, May? Not to mention the right. deadline. But, yeah, it's, it's, you know, people get caught up with opening because, you know, because it's all ceremonial and, and, and everything. And I get it. But I almost stole away, I almost stole away the first month. I almost thought, almost. I mean, it's, you know, we've seen it. Yeah, but it's like exciting a, to have it back, and you well, look yeah, at the yeah, rosters. It it's exciting, yeah, you know. Yeah, because it, means, because it means the weather's warmer and, 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 and all that. But, you know, it's a, you know, it ain't like last year. Last year was a sprint. Back to the marathon now. Back to the marathon. You got to change your shoes now. You can't, you know, you can't put on your Hussein Bolt uh, shoes now. You got to put on your um, – um, you got to put on your marathon. You got to put on your Frank Shorter shoes now. You know, got to you know, it's, it's yeah. a mar- you know, barring bar, you know, barring how um, COVID um, rears its ugly head, it's basically sort of back to somewhat normal because you're gonna, you know, there's gonna be a little bit of a crowd now, and they'll probably if if they're allowed to progress the way it should, the crowds will get a little bit bigger as as the year goes on. Yeah, it's it's we got you know I'm literally at wake me up like around after I've had a chance to see everybody at least two three times. Right, and we hadn't even talked about Toronto, the Yankees, Mets. There's a lot of teams out there. I'm just excited about the rosters and you know see what what will will look like. Man, it's a long, 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 long. You still got you know. We still got to get, you know, we still got to get to the NCAAs and all the other stuff, man. I mean, yeah, is it going to be, is it going to be nice to have, you know, like, you know, by by this time next week, you know, we will have had a little, you know, was it uh, everything starts on what Thursday? So by the time the weekend rolls around, every, you know, everybody barring rainouts or or what have you, everybody would have played at least, you know, a little bit of games. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's this way. 
it's going to be, a, you know, I think going off of how last year played out and with all the moves and with all the possible other moves, it's, it's going to make for interesting. But we always have to keep COVID in the back burner. Always have to keep it in the back burner. Yeah, you're right. And go Yankees on that note. Um, so. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you know what you know, you know with them. I knew you were going to say that. That's why I said it. I knew something was coming out about hey, my age. I'm going to warn you right now. Do not call me four in the morning bitching about Jay Bruce. Oh, oh my God. I'm going to warn you. I'm warning you now. I'm warning you now. Look, you know I'm, I'm one of those. I, you'll get that text from me. Like, what the no, hell are they doing? And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be like, I'm finishing my sandwich. I told you all about him. <laughs> no, T. You know, you my doc, you my um, my doctor. I got a vent when it comes to that kind nah, of stuff. No, no, no. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. You can't pay me enough to do Yankee rehab. I'm sorry. <laughs> You can't pay me enough to that. I got, hey, hey, I got I to make sure Carrasco gets uh, squared away before the, before, before, um, before um, time comes along. That's true. Well, listen, it's exciting uh, as always, man. I appreciate the time. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk next week. No problem, man. I'll talk to you. Thanks, T. Tony T. Mac McLean, of course, BASN Newsroom. Check him out, BASN. Uh, dot com and check out his work there. He's the editor in chief there. If you missed any part of our broadcast, go to our website, the Bassett News Radio Network dot com, the Bassett News Radio Network dot com, and um, follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, on Twitter at Pad Nation Two, Instagram and LinkedIn uh, at L A Bachelor as well. Enjoy. You missed the broadcast? Go to our website and check us out, the Bassett News Radio Network dot com. Our link is right there. Uh, you can always check us out on WCOM Monday nights. We broadcast on Wednesday nights as well, Wednesday overnight. Enjoy. We'll talk with you soon on the Bassett News Radio Show, on the Bassett News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill and Carborough. Looking for my baby
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.